I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturepedic.com. That's naturepedic.com. Welcome back to Parent Talk. Susan and I are very excited uh, at this podcast to introduce a subject that I know is near and dear to the heart of any parent whose child is really not much past birth in age, and that is separation anxiety. There's all sorts of anxieties that children experience, some immediately after birth, some later on in the first year of life, and some at 18 months. We're going to be talking about all of them. So we're excited to have you back with us, and we'll let you kick it off, Susan. I will, Arthur. Nice to see you. Um, Well, I will tell you something about separation anxiety as someone who ran an early childhood center for so many years Mm -hmm. is that parents are like have two feelings about it. On one hand, they dread the idea of leaving their child and having their child scream or yell or cling to them. On the other hand, if their child just runs into the classroom and barely says goodbye, that parent feels like, oh, my God, does my child actually love me? And, and of course, children have a wide variety of ways of showing separation anxiety. But before we actually get into separation anxiety, this is something that parents often get confused or they ask me about. And that is, is the separation anxiety the same as stranger anxiety? And there's two types of separation anxiety too. So let's be clear about which one we mean. In this session, we'll be talking about the stranger anxiety you see, just as Susan said, when the child's dropped off at a program. And it really begins to blossom after 18 months for reasons we'll discuss shortly. But all mammals, not just humans, are born with their lives 100% dependent on access to their mother. No mother, no milk, no life. We're not talking about that because most parents bring their children to daycare well-fed, well-cared for, and the baby's not worried about being abandoned. So that's not separation anxiety we're talking about. And then there's other type of anxiety we're not going to talk much about today either, and that's stranger anxiety. Let me just say separation anxiety at birth is universal. Stranger anxiety is different because that is the beginning of a reflection of a sense of dread or concern about a novel situation. And if you think about any friends you have, the first thing you do when you talk about what they're like turns out to be their anxiety level. How's that? Well, we'll say they're laid back or they're pretty wound up. And kids right at birth will vary in in how anxious they are in general about novel situations. And stranger anxiety comes in around six to nine months of age And some kids will have none of it. You know, they don't really care what's going on. They want to crawl around and sit up and they don't really care who's in the room. And other kids, someone they've known all their life will walk in who's not their mother and they'll start screaming. Nowadays, people actually call it stranger danger. Well, yeah. And I'm not sure it's there's much danger if the child's being held by the mother and, uh, no. and somebody new comes in. You know, what's sort of unfair. Sometimes grandparents, for instance, who live out of town, and they can't wait to put that baby in their arms and the child 
puts their face into the parent's shoulder and just screams if the grandparent wants to take them away. That's stranger anxiety. And within a very short time, if the other adult is calm and just a little bit patient, that baby will respond to them very positively. So all of that, as you say, manifests around six to nine months. And children, again, vary greatly. You know what? It's interesting that that's a very stable trait, Arthur, that you brought up, reacting to novel situations. Children who react strongly and negatively to novel situations will do so for most of their early childhood. That's a stable trait. And kids who sort of like plunge head first, they continue to do that. And I always tell parents who think, why my kid is going to be shy like I was, or they don't like new things. I'll say, your child is a great observer. They are not going to rush into things without giving it some deep thought. I said, you should be grateful and happy that you have a child that takes a step back and views the world as something mm, not dangerous, but I need to take my time. Yeah, in fact, I would say that trait, the level of anxiety that courses through your veins every day is pretty stable throughout life. I mean, think about it. You see someone you haven't seen for 20 years and they've got exactly the same level of anxiety they had 20 years ago. They're either laid back or wound up or somewhere in between. And, and I see that as a pediatrician tracing, you know, from birth through college and then uh, in our family straight through adulthood. So that's a different thing than we're talking about separation anxiety at a program. So let's talk about separation anxiety. You know, we talked in a prior podcast about what we coined, at least we think we coined it, the big bang of consciousness. And that's when a child suddenly sees the world very differently. Now they can anticipate different things existing simultaneously. Like I think we were using it with food, like there are both chicken nuggets and pizza in the world at the same time. So even though chicken nuggets may be a favorite, if pizza's in that child's mind, that's what they're going to be crying for. We also talk about how prior to the Big Bang of Consciousness, like a six-month-old has no idea that their current situation could be different. Right. <laughs> and then something happens around 18 months, and we see the brain physically change its shape around them. This is not a little thing. It, it's huge. It's huge. And from that point on until, you know, senility, if you live that long, <laughs> you are aware that whatever's going on right now could be different. And you suddenly get flooded with this sense, well, I don't like the way things are now, or I sure wish they were this other way. And now you're contending with this sense of, uh, am I happy with the way things are? And that's exactly what's happening with separation anxiety. As you say, it goes into every aspect of life. So imagine now that you are 15, 16, 18 months old, and now... If you have to, you can conjure up a picture of your parent. And if the parent's not in the same room with you, whether it's at nighttime when you're in your crib and the parent's in their bed, or if you're going to school, you know that your parent exists outside of you because children have gone through a process called individuation and separation. And when a baby is a newborn, you said it yourself, that separation anxiety comes out, are my needs being met? Are they being fed? Are they dry? Are they clean? Is someone holding them? They don't see themselves as a different person. Their parent is clearly an extension of them. Now, at a, we're just going to say 18 months. It does happen a little earlier for some children. Now they see themselves as me. I am an individual. And I will tell you, this also coincides with children saying, no, 
And saying no is a great way of saying, hey, I don't have to follow just everything you're saying. I've got my own thoughts. So all of this comes together and coalesces. And if parents can think about that and they can understand that separation anxiety isn't something to avoid. In fact, it's virtually impossible to avoid. It's something to see as a healthy sign of development. Your child's brain is developing at a pace that now they can anticipate differences, they understand their needs, and they can demand different things to meet those needs at different times. Now, I want to say yes to no in the sense that a lot of parents often complain about the child saying no all the time, but the word no is essential to the development of self. If you only say yes to your parents, you will become them. You'll be no new person on the scene. I know. And interestingly, this 18-month time is often a very popular time for children to begin going to childcare or to preschool. And of course, that coincides at the height of separation anxiety. And when I was thinking about separation anxiety, it brought to my mind one of my very, very favorite stories. And this is not about one person. This is this happened. If it happened once, it happened a hundred times when a I was a thousand times. Yeah, well, well, maybe a thousand times when I was running the early childhood center. So let's just take a child that had been in the childcare since they'd been three months old, and they loved it. They loved their teachers. They were doing great. Suddenly, the child is screaming when they enter the parking lot, or even when the parent starts to get their backpack in the morning. So the parent comes to me in a panic. Something's going on in my class classroom. Someone must be pinching my child or biting my child or the teacher isn't being nice to my child. My child all of a sudden is really resisting going to school. And I love it when parents come to me with this because it gave me the opportunity to sit down and say, wow, your child has really just had this big surge in development. Because now when you get their backpack and get their lunch ready, they say, aha, I know what's going to happen in a few minutes. In a few minutes, we're going to get in the car. Mommy is going to, or daddy's going to drop me off at school. And I'm going to have a sad, missing them feeling. They're already anticipating the future. That's pretty exciting for a toddler, don't you think? Yeah, I, I love that idea of it being something to celebrate instead of dread. And I, I think it speaks to the something we'll be talking about when we talk about kids who are 18 months, one and a half and older which is the parental experience of the child's emotion. A lot of parents sometimes have an urge to feel what their child's feeling. I don't know if it's an urge, but they certainly experience that. So, you know, the child's wailing and they they feel upset too. Well, of course, a parent also has separation anxiety. You know, it goes both ways, especially a parent who is leaving a child for, let's say, a relatively long day. They're going to be missing their child. And it's so interesting because this is something I would really talk to parents about over periods of time, because it takes a while for them to be able to say, if I'm missing my child and I feel sometimes really lonely, or sometimes I really wish I could just have my child with me. Why do you think your child isn't having parallel feelings? They are. And it takes a while because parents want it both ways. They want to miss their child because they love their child, but they really don't want their child to miss them because then they feel guilty. And I'm here to say, don't feel guilty. Rejoice. I like your word. And the fact that your child has a healthy, secure attachment to you. A child who is not well attached to their parent, Arthur, will not show much reaction 
when they're left off at school. And if a child seems to be like one of these very outgoing children who runs into the classroom, that child does have separation anxiety. They're not showing it in exactly the way that a lot of children do. They're not crying or clinging. But when they're in the classroom, they might have difficulty moving from place to place. They might be, you know, shadowing the teacher. They might even show aggression. Securely attached children are going to, in some way or another, show that they're missing their mom or dad or their primary caregiver when they are separated. The quality of attachment, the quality of a relationship between any two people, including a parent, mother, father, or caregiver, and a child, is not whether they only have one mood, which is happy, but whether the relationship allows both the parent and child to experience a range of emotions and feel safe and secure with each other. I think in the United States, actually, we have a problem. Goodness help us, I should say, if someone's not happy for a moment, we have to get them a treat or we have to fix it. But good relationships allow for people to go up and down because guess what? People go up and down. Even if you never go to a daycare center or preschool, even if the child stays in your bed for a year and a half and you never separate, you're still going to have emotions go up and down. A good relationship or good attachment allows for both sides to experience stresses and reassure each other that things are going to be okay and retune. You know, there might be some disruption, like dropping someone off at a program, but a good attachment allows you to retune, realign, get back together. That gives me the perfect segue into some practical suggestions, because now if parents are listening and they're going to say, all right. It's healthy, it's normal, but what do I do when my kid is screaming and crying? Ah! Right, right. So there's a few things, there's a few things you can do even beforehand. I like all kinds, especially for young children, concrete visual reminders. So I often tell parents, make a little calendar on your refrigerator, put maybe a picture of the teacher or a school, and the child can look every morning so they know it's a school day. There's no anxiety. Is today a day I stay home or is today uh, a day I go to school? That's very helpful, even for very, very young children. Talk about what the child's going to do at school, who they're going to see. And parents will say, but my kid's 18 months old, 19 months old, has no language or very little. Always keep in mind that your child's receptive language, what they understand, is far, far greater than what they can express at this age. So talk to them. Tell them what they're going to say in their teacher's. And then let them help you pack their lunch, pack their backpack, give them some control, give them some input into the beginning of their day. That really makes a difference. It doesn't feel like it's all being done to them. They're in partnership with their parent. And this is really one of the most important pieces. And this is the part that parents struggle with. Don't be afraid of saying to your child, When I say goodbye, I think you're going to miss me. And guess what? I'm going to miss you too. We're going to miss each other, but we will see each other. And again, if a parent can make it concrete, for instance, if they can say, I'll pick you up right after nap or after your second snack, something that's concrete enough for the child to maybe cling to a little bit so that they can understand when the parent is going to reappear. On that point, Susan, I bet you hear all the time when you give that particular piece of advice, oh gosh, I think they're going to be fine. Now I've put this idea in their head. 
cannot put an idea like that in their head. Arthur, between the two of us, we've got something like 90 years of experience. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you, a child who is securely attached is going to have feelings about being separated from their parent. And I always like to think of this as a gift to your child. You are the most important person in your child's life. And for that most important person to say to you, I understand how you feel. I know you're going to miss me and I'm going to miss you, but we will be so happy to see each other when I pick you up. All of those things are absolutely essential. There are other things that you can do. If you could take your child to your workplace so they actually could have a picture of you in their mind or an actual picture of you in your workplace, have the child, even if it's a scribbled picture, say, I'm taking this to my work and I'm putting it on my desk so I will think about you all day long. For even younger children, this this is from the very, very beginning, transitional objects, loveies that they love. That's always good. But sending something of yours, a scarf or a sweater that reminds them of you or even smells of you, something like that, anything that you can to strengthen or to underscore that connection. This separation anxiety we're talking about, in almost every instance I can think of, I've never seen anyone like in first grade or high school or college have a problem because of their parents bringing them to a preschool or a daycare center. No, of course not. That speaks to what you're talking about earlier, Susan, uh, so powerfully. Parents have separation anxiety too. And the way that stirs in their head is they're thinking, what have I done? I've disrupted this, uh, you know, beautiful child's mind. And now what's going to happen? Well, nothing's going to happen. Absolutely nothing. In fact, again, when I sent my oldest one to college, she got into her dream school and, and she had a fantastic roommate. I had such a migraine on the way home. My husband had to pull off the road and we had to go to a, a motel. She was fine. I was the one with the separation anxiety. So I can absolutely assure you that we go through our whole lives dealing with separations. The big one at birth when the umbilical cord is cut and the final one, the end of our lives. So when you think about it, your life is sort of like a series of separations. And if there's anything that I could put in bold print and and flashing neon lights, never sneak out. Some teachers might say, you know, she's busy playing in the puzzle now. Why don't you just sneak out and it'll be fine. Can you imagine how that undermines the child's trust of you as the parent? Never sneak out. Even though sneaking out would be easier for you, not easier for the child in a minute when they realize you're gone, it's much better for you to be able to say, I have to go now and I'm going to miss you and give your child a bit of control back. So say, okay, today, is it three hugs and two kisses or one kiss and Two giant hugs. I know that seems silly, but when you're 20 months old, that sounds like a pretty good sense of control. And I often see that children do better if they can walk their parent to the door and they're the ones to say, bye, mommy, bye, daddy. And then they walk back into the classroom. Those are very small things. But if you do them consistently, your child's going to feel they have a routine. It's consistent. And they've got that little bit of control to say bye-bye. And like many, many things, no one's going to follow these excellent guidelines 100%. We're all going to slip up every now and then. There's going to be something that like you feel some urgency to slip out. So we want to make sure that everyone knows that you know these are excellent guidelines for the parent and child to follow in order to have a good experience 
with the transition of going to school that if you slip up, everyone's pretty resilient. You know, that's the whole point of a good relationship. If you misalign, you can realign. And, you know, good quality of childhood is not measured by one experience. It's the trend over many, many thousands of experiences. You're right. One slip up isn't going to do it. And also remember that especially children under two, their verbal skills generally are not that well developed. So crying and clinging and showing distress, well, that's really one of the main ways that they have for communicating to their parent how they're feeling. The parent can be calm and say, oh, I see how sad you are. You're going to be really missing mommy or daddy today. And you can say, and I will be missing you. But the child needs to tell their parent in that moment, I'm going to miss you. And that's really what they're saying. We're talking all about these goodbyes. But one thing that very few people bring up is that the reunions at the end of the day are just as important as the goodbyes. And what I see is that the parent comes in so excited to see their child. They've had a long day at work. They want their child to run into their arms and give them a hug and kiss. And what does the child do? I have seen kids ignore their parents. I have seen kids run away. I have seen kids, older kids saying, just a second, mom, I'm, I'm finishing this puzzle. Now, what's the parent? They're going, ah, you know, what, what happened? I can't wait to give my child a hug. And they're running away from me. And when I would see this at school, and, and this was actually quite frequent, I'd say to the parent, I say, you know, I think maybe your child is, again, using the the toolkit that they have, which is, you know, not completely developed yet. They're trying to give you a little bit of your own medicine. You left me. Now I'm going to sort of leave you. I'm not going to come running to you. See how you like that feeling. And the parents say, but then what do I do? And I'll say, simply say to them, I see that that was hard for us to be apart all day. You're missing me. I was missing you. I'm just going to sit here. And when you're ready, I am so ready to give you a hug and a kiss and go home and spend the evening together. And I will tell you, Arthur, very few things work the first time. This is one of those things that I give it almost a 90% success rate. Parent says that one time, the child goes, phew, they get it. run to their parents' arms, and off they go. It really does work. Just something for parents to keep in mind if that's ever happened to them at the end of a school day. I love that scenario and how you put it, Susan. Uh, for some reason, it reminds me of uh, the very common experience parents uh, have of struggling getting into a bath and out of a bath. So kids <laughs> kicking and screaming, I, don't, I hate baths, I never want to be in a bath. And then 10 minutes later, you can't take me out I'll never leave the bath. I love it too much. So there's resistance in transition in both directions. Exactly. And that's what you see at the end of the school day. But I just have to ask you, because you have this wealth of experience, unless someone's in your position running a preschool or being a teacher one, they don't know. As parents, we only know what happens. We pick them up and and then uh, bring them back home. So what's it like during those six hours or three hours when there's no parents around? My guess is things go along pretty smoothly usually. They do. And that's one of the things that I used to do with my teachers, my early childhood educators, is that we would talk a great deal about how do you inform the parents without making them feel like it's something wrong with the parent. Because if a teacher says, oh, they stop crying five minutes after you leave, they were great all day. I don't know what this is about. (laughs) That doesn't make the parent feel too great. 
<laughs> makes them feel sort of like, well, I don't know. But the best thing that a teacher can say is that you know that your child just missing you. And that's what she's telling you right this minute. But I'm here to tell you that your child acclimates beautifully to the classroom, has lots of friends, you know, whatever makes sense for that age or that particular child. You're right. The school day is usually absolutely fine. <laughs> When's the last time in the, like two hours into a day, you had a child break down and say, you know, what am I doing here? Why did my mommy leave me here? It's really a beginning and the end of the day. Sometimes when there's a transition new, like a child who is extending a day, you might have a little bit of a bubble there. But what happens is that very quickly you can uh, support the child and things will be fine. But this is something that parents have to deal with. And that's true whether they're they're going to work all day or if their child's just in part-time preschool. Because children who are just going for three or four hours will also have these kinds of reactions at the beginning and the end of the day. As we come to the end of this podcast, I'm reminded of a wonderful thing someone told me, and that is grief is actually the same experience as love. So if you love someone and their connection to them is interrupted in any way, that sadness, that upset, that anxiety that we've been talking about is a form of grief. And so in future podcasts, we're going to be talking about all sorts of ways that separation induces real grief. You know, things like uh, divorce can induce, and we're talking about reversible grief here, not the grief that we usually associate with that word, which is irreversible. But separation can be like grief. It can be very transient, like what we've been talking about today. It could be more enduring, like around a divorce and ongoing changes in their life. It can be uh, like a one or two week thing around parental uh, vacation away from the kids. So we're going to cover all those topics. We're going to be talking about all of those in great detail, how to prepare children for that and how to support them through difficult transitional times. I hope people learned a lot with this first uh, step into the separation that happens around school and preschool and daycare. And we look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Arthur. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.